All right. Welcome again to uh, our parent night. I'm excited to see a lot of parents here tonight. Um, for those who may not know me, who um, I have not yet met personally, uh, my name is Kent. I'm the youth pastor here at Cross Point, um, and I'm excited that um, you guys are here tonight. Uh, tonight, we are studying our, uh, continuing our study of 1 Corinthians, gospel living in the local church. Um, we've been doing that all um pretty much all year long. The first few weeks we were studying something else, but then we got into 1 Corinthians, and we've been in it ever since. Um, to start off, I want to ask a question. How many of you have ever been interrupted during a conversation? Parents, come on. Young children interrupt you all the time. I know your hand should be up. Yes. Um, how many of you have interrupted another person's conversation? Yes. Um, I think we all understand those feelings. Um, for those, um, how do you feel when you are interrupted? Let's go back to that first question. When you are interrupted, how do you feel? You can blurt out an answer. Frustrated. Yes. Sure. Yeah, depends. What about um, sometimes... Um, if you're in a group of peers, people around your age, and you're trying to have a conversation, you get interrupted, sometimes you can feel un unheard. Yeah. Disrespected. Frustrated was one I had down. Yes, it's very frustrating to be um, interrupted by someone else. Sure. Right. Yes. Yes. Barring, barring an emergency, yes. That, that um, when it's truly needed, yes. That, that's a positive example. Yeah. Right. Yes. This is the exception, not 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 usually the the case. Um, in our passage tonight, we'll be finishing up chapter fourteen of First Corinthians, and in our passage, we see Paul addressing the issue of interruptions during a worship gathering. So, if you have your scripture notebooks with you, um, please open them up um, to chapter fourteen. If you do not have a scripture notebook, I do have the verses; they will be on the screen. So, um, to kind of set up the scene um, for the second half of 14, uh, we first need to remind ourselves what happened the first half of 14. So I know that was like four Sunday nights ago. We took three weeks off. It was not completely planned to take that much time off, but we did. Um, and so who can tell me about what we talked about in the first half of chapter 14? If you have scripture notebooks, you can totally use that. If you took notes, that would be a help. Yes, Max, what did we talk about? Yeah, we're talking about some spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, and uh, the gift of prophecy. Do you like pink or red starbursts, Max? Pink. There you go. Uh, someone else? Well, something else we talked about in the first half of 14. Yes, Victoria? Yeah, that kind of is, is some spiritual gifts, yeah? Similar to what Max said. Anything else that you remember we talked about in the first half of 14? Yes, yes, yes. That's Max had already said that. What was the quote that uh, we I used a lot in that uh, first half of fourteen? It's about strength. Yes, Victoria. Yes, that was a big hitting point. Ready, Victoria? I promise. Hopefully. Hey, there we go. I was throwing long, so I didn't throw short. So, yes, uh, strength is for service, not for status. We talked about using our spiritual gifts that God has given us for others instead of just for ourselves. 
uh, and we ended with this challenge to, uh, when talking about prophecy in the first half of 14, uh, encouraging one another with biblical truth was a big challenge point that we landed on. Um, so, it, it, and Paul's motive for writing that passage was really to correct uh, the Corinthians on how they were using their spiritual gifts. They were using them in a way to uh, promote their own status instead of serving the church, building up the church. And so tonight, um, we see Paul continuing to correct the Corinthians on their worship services and how they should be more organized so that Christ stays on the focus of the service instead of self. So let's start reading tonight's passage in 1 Corinthians 14. We'll start in verse 26. Verse 26, What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Everything is to be done for the building up. Okay, I want to pause right there. I should remind you, students, while we read, if you have a scripture notebook, you should be underlining, highlighting, circling things that stick out to you, things that don't make sense that you have questions about, so that you can talk about it further in your small groups. Tonight, I want to start off, though, with underlining the last part of verse 26, that everything is to be done for building up. I want you to underline this, because this is a key theme in this passage. Paul is reminding the Corinthians here that everything not just some things, not just most things, but all things. Everything is supposed to be done with respecting others during the worship service, whether focusing on God or helping the other to focus on God. Everything is to be done with respecting others. I think this principle can be uh, applied not only in the time of Corinthians, but in the present day as well. You know, whether that's a Sunday morning service that you attend at a church or it's when you come to Hype on Sunday night, or wherever you gather with a group of believers to worship the Lord, um, the focus should be on deepening relationships with God and helping others do the same. The reality of that, though, is many of us, we can be tempted in various ways to focus on ourselves during these times of worship. Here are a couple of examples that I struggled with as a student. Students, I think you might relate to some of these as well. You know, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm going to this event so I can impress my friends. And even at the event, I may try to appear funny so I can be more well-liked by my friends. Or maybe thoughts start to drift off during a worship uh, session uh, or a, a worship time of, I wonder if that boy or if that girl thinks, you know, that I'm good-looking. Like, I, I'm going to this worship thing. I'm going to hype and going to church because, you know, someone that I am attracted to goes there. For others in the room, you might be thinking um, some of the things that you need to do after a, a time of worship is over. I've been there thinking of what's going to be for lunch while the sermon is still going on. Or even um, at, at a hype event when we're in small groups thinking of what is the nightly routine that I have to do with a newborn now? I've caught myself thinking about futuristic things instead of being present in the moment. You might even be self-conscious about how others will view you if you're not right in tune during singing a song. Or maybe in these moments we uh, are tempted to turn a worship service about us, about our reputation. Now, I just want to encourage you, when this happens, we need to pause when we sense that there's a temptation to turn the worship service about us. We need to pray and to ask God to change our hearts because worship service, a time of gathering together, is about worshiping God, 
and helping others point them to Jesus, not distracting them from Jesus. And when we distract others, we actually therefore make it about us in, instead of making it about Jesus. Now, because the Corinthians were struggling with this concept, uh, there was too much noise, let's say. There's too many distractions, and it was chaotic. So Paul tells the Corinthians in the, in the next couple of verses to be silent in three different ways so that there can be order and focus and so that they can remain on, uh, focused on Christ. So let's keep reading to find three ways that Paul tells them to be silent. Verses 27 through 36. Follow along with me. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two or at most three in each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and to speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate. But if someone has been revealed to, if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophets' spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are sub submit themselves as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church, or did the God, word of God originate from you, or did it come to you only? Okay, did you find the three ways? What are the, some of the three ways that Paul uh, talks about to the Corinthian church, um, three different ways to be silent so that there can be more order? What are the three ways? What are some of the ways? Yes, Matt. So, sure, yep, yep. So someone who speaks in tongues should be silent if there's no one to interpret. Yeah, what was another way? Joa? Yeah, so there was one that was talking about women, wives of husbands who are prophesying. Um, if they have questions, they should remain silent in worship and then talk with their husbands at home. Yep. What's the last one? There's a third one. It's kind of in the middle there. It's kind of hiding there. Third one. What was the third way that Paul encouraged the Corinthians uh, to be silent in order to focus more on Christ? Anybody? Joey, you got the last one? Oh, Max, I saw your hand. Go for it, Max. Yeah, so verse 29 through 30, the only two or three people should speak prophecy. If someone else has something to say, the first one should be silent. Yeah, so there's three different ways. Um, that Paul tells the Corinthians to be silent. Now let's go over each one and explain them a little bit more because I'm sure that uh, I'm not the only one who had some questions about these three ways when I first reading through this passage. First one, uh, we find in verse 28, someone who speaks in tongues should be silent if there is no one who can interpret it. A tongue, if a tongue cannot be interpreted, when tongue, we, we talked about this, uh, a few weeks ago, is it, a tongue is a, another language. Some people have uh, a spiritual gift to uh, supernaturally speak different languages um, uh, in, in a certain context, in a certain time. And so if a tongue cannot be interpreted, then it doesn't build up the church, but it only benefits the person who's speaking because no one else can understand it. Only they can. In that case, when no one can interpret it, it would be self-centered instead of other-oriented. And so this is why Paul says, hey, if this is the case, uh, we uh, actually ask you to be silent because if you have this ability but no one else can 
communicate what you're saying to the rest of the body, it doesn't actually encourage others. It's just promoting yourself and the gift that God has given you. The second one that Paul writes about in verse 29 through 30 about prophecy, only two or three people should speak prophecy. If someone else has something to say, then the first prophet should be silent. Now, um, here uh, he's addressing the issue that there are too many people speaking at one time, and no one can focus on actually learning or being encouraged um, in Christ. There's too many people. They're even talking at the same time because Paul has to clarify one at a time. So you have multiple people talking at the same time, talking about different things to an audience, and people aren't learning. So I want to illustrate what this looks like. Um, I think I asked Max to come up, and who is my Cub fan? Matt. Okay, this is perfect because Matt is Max's small group leader. So I need Matt and Max both to come on stage. Matt and Max. Okay, so Max is, is a Cardinal fan, if you can't tell. Um, Matt is a Cub fan, uh, loose Cub fan, right? Like casual, casual, casual Cub fan. Yeah, casual Cub fan. Okay. So, but to, but to illustrate this, um, I don't want you to take turns. I want you to go at the same time, and I want you to tell the audience of why people should um, uh, be a fan of your team. Keep going. You got to yell louder. <laughs> okay. Thank you. you. You can sit down. Thanks for give it up for our volunteers. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, each presented a well case. Uh, I can't choose or decide which one. So, um, but. It, it could be confusing. Think about, there was just two of them. Think about if there was four or five people at the same time trying to communicate something to you, you would have no idea what they're saying. One, because you're listening to multiple voices, and it sounds like a bunch of noise. You can't learn anything new or, or be encouraged. It's not building up of the church. You had a lot of people competing against one another to be heard, and it was making it about themselves instead of, of encouraging the church. You know, it's it's really hard at when, when that's happening to just listen to one person when you have multiple pe people speaking at the same time. And in the end, if you don't understand what either of them are saying, it would be better if they had went one at a time. So it might be, seem obvious that this would be better if only one person went at a time. But here, um, I think is a practical application that can be practiced here at Hype, you can practice at home, you can practice at school. Um, because let's just say I'm talking during a, a large group lesson. Let's just say this, for example. I'm talking during a large group lesson, and someone else, let's say a student, is whispering to their friend. In that moment, the focus just shifted from what I'm trying to teach and communicate to you to what you're saying to your friend. And you distracted your friend from the lesson. They're trying to listen to both me who's talking and you who's talking at the same time, and they're probably not understanding or comprehending either one of them because they're both happening at the same time. It's really hard to listen. And so if you have something to say to your friend here here's, with this example, I encourage you, share it with them by writing it down and showing them after the lesson so that they can continue to focus on what's being taught. And this is why you see in school systems, what's one of the the basic rules that you learn at a young, young age at school. Yes, Max? You, you just did it. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to talk, raise your hand. Right? Why? Because it 
helps keep order in a classroom. It can be very chaotic when students just start shouting out answers when not called upon and when they interrupt the teacher teaching. And so, yes, this is something that Paul's like, hey, this is super practical. This is, should be something that is already practiced, but because it's not, let me tell you, hey, you go one at a time, and it's only a couple of you. So that's uh, the second way he tells people to be silent, and that's why. Now, the third one, probably the, the most interesting one and the hardest one to uh, understand on, on the front end of it is this. The third way to be silent is wives of husbands who are prophesying, if they have questions, they should remain silent in the worship service then talk with their husbands at home. You see this in verses 33 through 35. Now, first off, I want to let you know, Pastor Dave Steinbeck, who spoke on this very passage this Sunday morning, uh, did an excellent job. But if you don't go to church here or you missed it because you were gone this morning, I encourage you to listen to the sermon on Crosspoint's Facebook uh, or on Crosspoint's YouTube channel. Because uh, he did a great job. And Facebook, yeah. YouTube and Facebook. It's on both. Yep, yep. Uh, he went into incredible depth on this passage, these verses specifically. Um, so I encourage you to watch that. I will give a brief overview to help understand these verses for our uh, context uh, uh, here at Hype. Now, when we come to hard passages in the Bible, we need to uh, avoid two extremes. Uh, one extreme is reading the verses out of context, basing our convictions off of a one Bible passage without seeing how that passage fits in to the book it belongs in and other parts of Scripture um, and, and what uh, other Scriptures say about that topic. Now, the second extreme we have to avoid is when reading a hard passage is to just avoid it and run away from it and disregard it completely because we don't like how it sounds or because it's hard for us to understand reading it once. So we need to avoid both extremes. So what do we do with this passage? Well, we need to look first at what all Paul had already written in 1 Corinthians. It's a basic way to study the Bible. If you have a question, look in the book that the verse is in. 1 Corinthians 11, a couple of chapters ago, talks about women prophesying. He's actually saying it's happening, and he's not forbidding it in that passage. And so we know that we can't read 1 Corinthians 14 in a way that says something that all women can never speak in a church setting. We know that it's not, that's not what he's saying. So then we need to ask ourselves, who and what is Paul actually prohibiting then? Who? I would say this. Paul is prohibiting married women from talking. He didn't say all women. He said married women from talking, women who have Husbands, if we go back to our slide, because it talks about going back to their husbands after church to ask the question. So it's prohibiting married women from talking, um, and that's who Paul's addressing. And what Paul's talking about is that he's prohibiting them to question their husbands in public during a worship service when their husbands are teaching. Because uh, he encourages them to discuss any questions they have at home to not be a distraction during the lesson, during the service. Dave gave an example of his wife not calling him out in public when he, when he says something with a wrongful attitude. I can say the same thing with Amber, even though she's not here, but she, uh, she's with Mabel, her child. Um, but if she was here, we've done this. We've gone to the truck. We've been driving home, and she's like, so how'd you think the lesson went? Can I give you some feedback? Um, 
uh, she's addressing it to me in private instead of in the middle of teaching. She's like, nah, I think you could have said that differently and taking the mic from me and, and trying to correct me or trying to word things differently or trying to be like, I think you should say it with this attitude in public. It'd be very distracting. Everyone's focus would be gone. And instead of focusing on the lesson, um, they would be distracted and focusing on the individual person. So that is, that is a big reason why Paul is saying here, like, hey, for women who are wives of husbands who are teachers, do not rebuke them or correct them publicly while they're teaching. You should correct them in private. And so that's what he is prohibiting when he says um, women should be silent in the churches. He's not saying all women. He's not saying always, ever. He's saying married women in the context whose husbands are teachers um, and those who prophesy, they should correct them in private. Now, um, these are the three ways that the Corinthians should be silent for Paul's solution to the problem at hand when it comes to an order and worship service. Let's read these last few verses of chapter 14 to wrap up our lesson. So, last couple verses, 37 through 40. Verse 37. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I am what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. Now, quickly as we wrap up, I, wanna, I want you to underline one more verse. I want you to underline verse 40 in your scripture notebooks. Verse 40. But everything is to be done decently and in order. And this is where we see this main idea in the second half of chapter 14, is giving God center stage. The big idea of this passage is giving God center stage. Because the worship service that Paul is describing needs to be done in an orderly manner so that people can focus on God and encourage one another in Christ rather than having something that focuses on themselves. God needs to be one who is being focused upon and in this passage, it's addressing specifically during a worship service. But I think this principle applies to different areas of our life. Remember what we read about in 1 Corinthians 10? There's a verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that we read earlier, students, that says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. All areas of our life should be seen as an opportunity to worship God. And so we need to ask the question, you know, so does God have center stage uh, of my life when I'm at school, when I'm playing sports, when I'm performing in a play, when I'm at home, when I'm interacting with my parents or my other siblings? Does God have center stage of my life when I'm alone, you know, when I'm tempted to be lazy, lustful, or selfish? You know, every area of our life is to be in worship to God. Every moment in life is an opportunity to praise God, to worship, to be relational with God. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, does God have center stage in all areas of our lives? I want you to take a moment to think about maybe there's an area of life where God uh, might be off to the side. You've put yourself on center stage instead of God. You, you've pushed him off to the side because there's something that you still want that serves yourself that is, um, that is all about you instead of worshiping God. I want you to take a moment to ask God to show you where you need to grow in this. 
The reality is that we all have room in this. We all battle with wanting attention. We all battle with wanting glory. We all battle with wanting credit, wanting praise in various areas of our lives. And when those errors are exposed, I want you to be honest. I encourage you to be honest with God. Repent of it. Ask God to forgive you. I want you to ask God to change your heart in those areas. And when we do that, we're able to reflect Christ more in our entire life. And we're able to live out the gospel, whether it's at school, whether at home, whether on the sports field, whether here at Hype, at church, if we have jobs at work, when we talk with our parents, when we talk with our siblings, we're able to resemble Christ more and pointing anybody we interact with toward Christ. That is my challenge for you, a challenge for myself, as we all continue on this journey of what it looks like to be uh, on mission for gospel living um, in our own lives. So with that, I want to take a moment to pray uh, before we send students into small groups. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for um, difficult passages like 1 Corinthians 14. God, we uh, just... We want to be honest before you. God, I, we, I want you to, for me personally, expose areas in my life where you're not in the center. God, I, I want each person here tonight to be honest with you, that you would show them where they need to grow and, and putting you in the center of their life, on center stage in, in, in all areas of their life. God, I just pray that um, tonight as we continue to small groups that um, you'd be glorifying our conversations God, I pray that as we continue um, to, to live this week in whatever context we're in, that we would glorify you, that we would point others to you uh, in all things. We love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.